Well, hey, everybody, and welcome back to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's at work in our mess. And while I can't speak for you, I am seriously grateful that He is good, that He is faithful, and that even despite the messes we make or we find ourselves in, He has overcome the world, and this story isn't finished. So if we haven't yet had the chance to meet, my name is Jen Jewell, and I get the honor of hosting this Faith-Fueled Conversation-Style podcast. And back with me today as my amazing co-host is my dear friend, Amy Groeschel. Y'all, we are partnered with women of our church, Life Church, where we are also big-time fans of the YouVersion Bible app. God's Word, literally in our back pockets, available in thousands of languages, both given away and downloaded for free, which is simply one example of how God's word and God's story is spreading to the ends of the earth. And I just pray that we can pause for a second in our busy everyday lives and see His fingerprints all around us, the evidence for His existence at every single turn, that His Spirit is currently being poured out on this generation. And it's so obvious that we have no excuse for not knowing God. And so, like Revelation 12, 11 talks about, our enemy is defeated by the blood of the Lamb, by Jesus' ultimate sacrifice, and by the word of our testimonies, sharing what He has done in our actual real lives. And that is why Amy and I are super excited to introduce you to our guest for today. Lydia Laird is a Jesus-loving, music-making, genuine woman of God who writes powerful words and sings beautiful songs from the overflow of what God has done in her life. Y'all, she's number seven out of 10 siblings, an advocate for mental health and a living example of grace. I truly think you're gonna love this conversation and her. So grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join Amy and me for a chat with Lydia. Lydia, we are so excited you're here. So welcome to The Messy Table. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Y'all are awesome. Yes, Lydia, we are eager to hear your story. I've just become acquainted with you several months ago, and it is going to be such a treat for our listeners to know about your ministry. Guys, she's a dynamic Christian recording artist, and also just the roots of where you've been and where God's taken you. It's pretty fantastic. And so let's just dive in. Would you tell our listeners just a little bit of your bio of, you know, who you are and what you do and a little bit about your family, just so so we can get to know a little bit about you off the top. Absolutely. I always like to start with the biggest random fact because people are like, what? I'm one of 10 kids, which is totally normal. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you've got a big family, Amy, so I'm sure you're like, oh, that's not that much. But Four more. Yeah. That's Can you a lot. imagine having 10? No. I mean, okay. It is a lot. It is a lot. People always ask us really funny questions. They're like, so what are you guys? Like, why? What? And like, what are you? <laughs> Literally what are you? every time. <laughs> I just start making up like a really crazy story. And I'm like, like, are well, you Amish? What yeah, are they trying they to do. ask They'll you? ask if I'm Amish, if we're Mormon, if yeah. we're Catholic. Yeah. And I'm always just like, well, you know, we just love Jesus and my parents love each other, apparently. Like, that's right. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. So, what number are you? I'm number seven. The so there's seven number. girls, three boys. I know. I feel so bad for six. Sorry, <laughs> Esther. <laughs> I always think that's hysterical. That's so um, good. But yeah, we got two boys, then seven girls in a row, and then one boy at the end. Poor seven Jesse. in a row. Mm-hmm. We were like everything like that you could stereotypically call a family as weird. Like we were homeschooled. We are PKs. We are missionary kids. Like we lived overseas for a couple years in Romania, and all six of us girls shared a bedroom. 
See, it's all making wow. more sense. Your parents needed entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> and you're looking at me and thinking, your sense of humor now Sorry, makes parents, sense. Sorry, parents, if weird. you're listening to this. I'm not trying to be awkward. <laughs> no, they love it. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, I grew up in just an incredible home, incredible family. Um, missions and music just were always something I was passionate about. From a very young age, I felt uh, very deeply from like nine years old, I was dealing with like the weirdest thoughts that like most little kids would not deal with. I just had this strong capacity to feel everything. And I started writing at nine. I wrote my first song when um, my mom miscarried what would have been our 11th kid, which was a surprise because she was like 50, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, Gabriel. And I remember I was like, how do I process this? And Mm -hmm. I sat on a little tire swing and I wrote a song about Gabriel. And that was kind of this first step in my journey of what I realized was God had given me a form of therapy through writing out my emotions. And growing up in the family I did with ministry and music being so important, I had a, a, a very big heart for the lost and wanting people to know Jesus. And in my mind, I thought I was going to be a missionary in the secular entertainment industry because I was like, hey, if we can get the entertainment industry to know Jesus, it's going to have a ripple effect, right? And God kind of has used every little step where I thought I was going to bring me to another direction and then another direction. And it's just funny how you don't always realize where you're going to end up. Absolutely. We can't wait. I want to hear about those different directions. But beautiful that at age nine, you saw this gifting in this outlet and how God's used it. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. I don't know how good that song was. but yeah. It's fine. But it's we all beginning. have our humble beginnings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, begin- I still have it somewhere. It's in a little journal. So cute. And at the time that we're recording this, you guys just had your lavished in love banquet last night for Brunch with Teen Amy. Yes. You should say something about that real quick. So you got to see her in action last night. Absolutely. And we are all still like floating on some clouds. Our Lavish and Love event for Branch 15, it's a ministry for women in transitional Christian housing. So Lydia came in and really did a ministry concert that I think was our eighth year and everybody's saying this was the best yet. Like you really blew us away with the message behind your songs. That's what's so powerful. And one of the reasons why we definitely wanted you to be a guest on Messy Table is because it's a message that you're writing, you know, through the songs that's touching hearts. We're hearing now that we're living in a time where the Gen Z generation and our young adults are struggling so much and young kids with anxiety that's off the charts. And then here God's, you know, raise you up for such a time as this with a powerful message of something you've walked through. So yeah, absolutely. And I know you're also living out some hard things in real time right now. So I'm sure that when you're leading worship, you're also preaching to yourself and reminding yourself of true things. I was telling uh, one of my sisters this morning, I was like, I've sung so many of these songs, even the songs I've written for years. And you sing them in the moments that you write them, believing the words. But it's funny how God does use even these things that you think you're doing for other people to come back around. And like this week, I I found out my dad had cancer out out of the blue. You know, there were no signs. There was nothing. And I got a call right before an event that I was supposed to lead at saying, you know, hey, we got a CAT scan for a fractured rib. And actually, he has cancer all throughout his body. And he had to be hospitalized the next day. And and you found this out this week. Yeah, like three days ago. So you're, you're like processing. Yeah. In fact, I'm headed there to see him tonight. So um, I am processing. And if you knew my dad, it's the closest to Jesus I've known on this earth. And so in a weird way, I, I see his strength and I have strength because he trusts the Lord and I, I can too. But mm. there's something powerful about singing those lyrics you know, and, and they've always been everything to me. Obviously, my mental health journey, I, I know we'll get into that. And But like last night, even at the special banquet, having to choose to believe them, even when you don't always feel them, you yes. know, and singing words like I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm, you know, louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar. And it's so crazy because like to feel the presence of Jesus in a moment where you should be feeling completely 
desperate and hopeless. And it's amazing how pressing into him and even choosing to worship, I don't feel that way. And and I'm sure I will. Like I'm human. There's moments, but but the Holy Spirit has just shown me, like, especially even through who my dad is, like, and I know not everybody has that, which I'm very blessed, but my dad is is an earthly representation of who I know my heavenly father is. And that means no matter what, he, he's going to be with me. He's going to walk through this with me, you know? Okay. So we want to hear some backstory on you and your story and when life has been messy, uh, but still he's been faithful. So let's hear it. Absolutely. Well, so a big part of my platform, like Amy was saying, is is mental health. You know, I grew up in this Christian home and, and no home is perfect, obviously. Like we all have our trauma, we all have our stuff. But I grew up in this home where from the outside looking in, you would have said, there's no reason for you to deal like with mental health issues, right? Like I think most of us look at someone who has depression or mm-hmm. uh, panic attacks or anxiety and we think, oh, they've been through trauma or oh, they've whatever. And sometimes we kind of ignore the fact that we live in a broken world yeah. and that can affect our brains. It can affect a lot of things. And like I said, you know, from a young age, I had such a capacity to feel, which was a gift. But what the enemy does with our gifts is he tries to pervert them and make yeah. them our weaknesses. But in the same way, God reverses that and goes, well, I'm going to make your weakness your strength, right? And so for me, from a young age, I dealt with depression. Uh, then in middle school, I started having pretty severe panic attacks, crippling anxiety where I almost didn't want to go out in public. And it's almost funny to anybody who knows me now because I'm like the biggest goofball and like extrovert ever. And I used to be too nervous to go to Bible studies or like stuff because what if I have a panic attack and I embarrass myself? But it's the both end of that. Like I think sometimes we identify with things and we're like, oh, this is who I am. And it's like, no, like even mental health, you know, I still deal with some clinical depression. I know it's taboo to some people, but I take a daily medication and it is save my life, honestly. Yeah. But between that and community and God's word and counseling, it's been a game changer. But a big part of my story growing up was I was very legalistic in my way of thinking of the gospel. Mm. And I really wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to be the Christian who like was so faithful and so faith-filled that I never felt depressed because why would you feel depressed if you're walking with God, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I used to struggle with those things, I would sit down and write every sin out I could think to confess and think maybe if I confess every sin perfectly, I won't feel far from God, right? Yeah. And it was like this faith that was based on myself and on what I did versus realizing the true gospel, which is you're free. There's no shame. There's no condemnation and you can get help. Um, And God's not like, wow. And I remember it took me years, like there's a lot I could go into, but even in, you know, I'm 30 now and in my twenties, I had moved to Nashville. I was trying to pursue music. I thought I was doing what God called me to do. And I was mentoring young girls who were dealing with depression. And I was telling them they shouldn't be on medication and that they should just read and pray more because my view of the gospel was performance-based and I didn't even realize it. And thank God he did not really allow my music to flourish until I had some real come to Jesus moments because I would have taught the wrong thing. Oh my goodness. I think this is wonderful. And it might be hard for someone to receive if they haven't gotten there yet, but you've walked through it. And I just wanted to share as I'm walking through with some dear friends, some, some health crises, I've started to understand something regarding like, do you take the medication? Do you just believe Jesus in faith? Do you just read and pray? Do you just, you know, all of that? Of course, always Holy Spirit led for these yes, decisions. For sure. But my friend was wrestling. Does my husband take this medication or do we not? And, you know, we all know that time in life where we have to make those decisions. And so I ended up saying something out loud as I was processing out loud. And I was like, goodness, this makes so much sense. So let's say you go to the doctor and they say, Lydia, you are severely dehydrated. You know what, girl, drink some water. You are so dehydrated. If you were like, well, I'm just going to trust God that he's going to hydrate me, 
I'm just going to read the Bible and pray for him to hydrate me. I mean, God can do all things. Water can come from a rock. But that's silly to think you wouldn't start, you know, getting an IV drip or start drinking and hydrating. And so how is it any different if we're messed up chemically sometimes and whatever to get, you know, to take something? And so it just kind of was this mind shift as I was processing out loud going, why do we resist the, you know, you're waiting for God to provide. And he's like, here I am with the lifeboat. Mm-hmm. And you're, yes. he's like, I sent all these things. That's what I thought about too. So I just wanted to say like, I love, and I want our listeners to understand like, that might be hard for you to receive if you're just the big faith person. No, we're just going to believe in faith. And, and God's word is enough. Like sometimes in the Bible, he says to Elijah, get up and have something to eat. Go back to sleep now. Yes. Yeah. We need to be exactly. a little more practical. So you're preaching. And sometimes his provision is such a tangible next step. Well, 100%. And I think, I think too, some of why we don't think that we can get help with doctors and counselors and all these things is actually a pride issue. It still goes back to being a little bit in control of our salvation. We want to think we're faith filled. Therefore we wouldn't. Right. But if it's cancer or a broken bone, we're like, well, yeah, I can't fix that. Only they can. Right. But, oh, I can fix this. Well, no, maybe you can't. And like sometimes the strongest thing you can do is ask for help. And for some reason, a lot of us, you know, Christians and non-Christians alike, we want to be the ones who did enough. And and it took me years to get that place. When I took my first medication, I was in a doctor's office crying my eyes out. She's asking me a, a questionnaire. And then she goes, you know, Lydia, I think you need to get on an antidepressant. And I started sobbing because I was so fearful of sinning. I was so fearful of not being enough. And I told her, I said, I just, and thankfully this was a Christian doctor. I, I said, I just don't understand. I'm, I'm reading the word. I'm praying. I'm, I'm trying everything I can. And I'll never forget this woman and praise God for doctors. She just took me in her arms and held me. And she said, honey, sometimes that's not the issue. Sometimes your brain just needs a little help. Yeah. And it was freedom. And, and, and I remember that same trip. I think I was 22, the first time I took medication. And again, I'm not saying medications the be all and all. It's not. Something you learn in counseling and just in life is the both and concept in which there are multiple answers, but the beauty and the grace is having freedom to navigate those. And yeah. um, there's actually referring to Elijah, um, Tim Keller has a sermon called The Still Small Voice, and he talks about how sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's spiritual, sometimes it's medical. And God was kind to Elijah. He wasn't just like, hey, get your life together, have more faith, pray. No, he, that dude was like suicidal and bitter and so proud that he literally was like, God, there's nobody else but me. You might as well kill me, which I is a joke. Just kill me. Yeah, right, there were right. definitely more. But he was feeling overwhelmed and God didn't like shame him. Right. He just said, hey, it's time to go to sleep. And he dealt with the physical, right? And, and it's time to eat because you hangry. Yeah, you yeah. hangry. And so sometimes <laughs> I always tell people that because like, well, what's the answer? And I'm like, dude, everybody's journey is different. But the beautiful thing is freedom. So deal with it medically, deal with it spiritually, deal with it in community, um, get healthy, you know, work out, get better sleep, all these things. But there are times where our brains need, especially like, say you're coming out of an abusive relationship or trauma or loss, our brain gets in a fight or flight mode. There's a lot of medical, a lot of psychology that goes to that. And sometimes we need the extra help. It may not be the long-term or always answer, but it's not wrong to use that answer. And I think like you mentioned, everyone's journey is different. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. We've had women on who have talked about some of this same thing. And I do feel like it's not as taboo as it used to be. I'm super grateful for that. But I think, you know, sometimes people feel called to be on medication. Sometimes people feel called to be on it for a little bit and then to get off or to not be on it. So I do think it's both and just like you said. And grace upon grace. Yeah. It's just the freedom. And I will say too, like when you open up about your journey is when other people have freedom to do that. Growing up, I had so much in my mind. I wanted to earn everybody's love, perform, 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 be the good kid. 
that I didn't always see the brokenness of other people. So I didn't share mine. Mm. And in my twenties, I was dealing with the clinical depression so bad in Nashville that my sister-in-law calls me one day and she goes, Hey, come home to Texas. I want you to talk to your brother. And my oldest brother, Aaron, he goes, Lydia, I want to take you fishing. (laughs) Very Texas thing to do. So we get on a boat and he goes, I'm going to ask you a question. I go, okay. He goes, is this true? I'm worthless without Jesus. And I said, well, yeah. And he said, okay, what about this? I'm worthy because of Jesus. And I said, well, yeah, that's also true. He goes, well, both of these things are saying similar things, but one's putting emphasis on your failures and your sin, and it's identifying you with them. Hmm. And the other one's putting emphasis on Jesus and it's identifying you with him. And when you do that, you have freedom versus performance. Mm -hmm. And he shared with me at that point that he had been in counseling for two years and he was taking medication and I had no clue. Mm. And I remember realizing my oldest brother, this worship pastor, godly man is willing to get help. And now he's sharing with me that he needed some help and I can get it too. And again, it's the both and I'm worthy because of Jesus. And I'm also free to get the help I need. And it doesn't make me, in fact, it's the reason why I can get on stage and just be who I am yeah. and be honest, not because I'm better, but because I'm in the mess with people and, and God meets us there. Now, I do think when some people ignore the spiritual and make this, only whether it's counseling or medication or whatever, like this is going to be my savior. This is the solution. I don't think that that's probably fully accurate either. Oh, it's not. But also everything is spiritual. Everything. Yeah. So even God giving us doctors, medicine, everything. But as Christians, the source is the Holy Spirit. Exactly. That's so good. I love how you're emphasizing this idea of performance. And that's really what we saw at the banquet was, I didn't see you performing, even though you you technically were, I mean, in the sense of you were on a stage, but you really brought your um, genuine self. But I wanted to ask about the labels of depression and anxiety ridden and things like that, because as you were saying, you broke down and cried because you were going to need medication and had this label. What's your perspective when you talk to people? Because I had a hard time when my daughter was saying she was depressed. I felt like I was not willing to receive a label over my daughter. So as you're thinking about just that merging of, you know, here's who I am. And then the doctor says you have depression. How do you walk through that and not just label yourself with something? I think that's a daily, I mean, that's a really good question, but I think that's a daily reminder that we only identify with one thing and it's Christ. And it's like saying, I'm hungry. I have a need. It doesn't mean I equals hungry, but I am hungry and I'm going to deal with that need. It does not identify me. So I deal with depression and and I did, I will say it is a journey. There's never a perfect linear thing where you're just like, oh, I keep getting better, better. Like, no, it's up and down and all around. And the righteous man falls seven times. He will lift him up. Like there were times where I did identify and I really made it who I was. And that's like, oh, I was, and even on this journey, like, and God used me even then, but I am now in a place where I'm like, man, this really is not me. I'm on this side of heaven. So I deal with that just like I deal with other things, pride, selfishness, whatever. Like we deal with, with aspects of the brokenness of this world, but it does not mean it's who we are, but that doesn't mean we can't get help for it. And in fact, um, you know, one of the scriptures I love is the one I think in Corinthians where it's like, he will comfort us so that we can comfort others with the comfort we've been given. Right. Yeah. I think when you make it your identity and you sit in it, that's like just, I don't know if you've ever read You Are Special by Max Lucado. You're putting the, the gray dots, the stickers on you. If you haven't read it, please read it. But it's like saying, this is who I am versus going, no, I struggle with this, but I'm actually going to let God use it for his glory. And like, I actually, even in my worst moments now, because, and this has been a long journey, but because of what I've seen of God, I actually get excited because yeah, I might be hurting right now, but that means he's opening up this vast way for me to comfort others when they are. And so it becomes our tool, not who we are. 
Okay. So for those who maybe have never dealt with depression themselves, would you just back up a little and kind of break it down for us? Like, what are some things that you were experiencing? What are some things that were going through your mind? What are some things that you were dealing with on a daily basis when you have been kind of deep in the throes of depression? I think it's uh, different for a lot of people because sometimes depression can just feel like sadness and it can be situational. Um, there's a lot of different levels of depression. I think a lot of us probably experienced some during the lockdowns and COVID and stuff like that, where, you know, you didn't have community. So the natural thing for your, for your mind is to feel alone and, and it could feel like depression. Right. But then there's people like myself who have dealt with clinical depression or seasonal depression. And oftentimes it will feel numb, like no energy, like you're exhausted, like you can't get out of bed, like you don't see purpose or a reason. And you're just like, well, you know, as a Christian, I'm just like, all right, God, I guess if you want to take me, take me because what's the point? Like you get in this weird headspace and sometimes that's your chemicals just just being off, you know, but sometimes it can come out in uh, addiction. You know, you're depressed and so you want to feel better. So you go to something, you go to alcohol, you go to binge eating, you go to Netflix, you go to sex, you go to whatever it is because you're depressed and you're just desperate to feel okay. And so I think, I don't know that I can be the poster child and say, well, here's depression because you know, a listener, you guys may have experienced it and it may have looked different than me. But what I do know is the tools of telling someone, not going through it alone, Mm -hmm. of being in the word. I always say, read the Psalms because David knows, and he was a man after God's own heart. Prayer, like worship. I'll tell you there is power in worship. You sing when you're depressed and things change. It just does. Yes, it does. I've experienced it over and over. Um, But then just not going through it alone. And yeah, if you need counseling, doctors, all those things. But there are tools. And I think sometimes we think this is it. This is hopeless. And what I would tell anybody who feels that, I even thought this week, I actually cried this week thinking, if I could go back to suicidal Lydia, because there were times where I was, and there may be times where I struggle again, but now I have tools. But if I could go back to suicidal Lydia, I would say, this is a moment. It's going to pass. It's not forever. And you have so much ahead. And if you ended it now, you'd miss it all. You would. And I think in that moment, we think it's our reality and it's just not. What are some other things that you would go back and tell past Lydia whenever you were kind of in the throes of that? I would tell her to bring things that are in the dark into the light and not be afraid of condemnation. I would have accountability. I think in times of depression, I often got myself in really bad situations just to feel if somebody else had been walking through it with me, which I think you have to find a safe person. You know, yeah. um, there are some people who don't understand we're on different faith walks and all because somebody is not where you are as far as freedom doesn't mean they don't love you and they mean the best. And I have people in my life like that who I can't talk to about these things because it brings them fear because they don't understand it. So finding a safe person to walk through life with I would go back and tell me my worth in Jesus and how much he just loves me. You know, I, I oftentimes would hear God's voice through the lens of how I thought he would speak to me versus how he actually speaks to me. And it wasn't really in the last few years. And I know this is weird. I grew up a little Baptist kid, like conservative, but like in the last few years, I've really asked the Holy Spirit. I've been like, Holy Spirit, I want to get to know you. I want to hear from you. And I feel like he has shown me the voice of God and it's gentle and it's kind. And I didn't always put those descriptors to it. And I think if I had, I would have had a lot of a softness with what I was going through. But even then he showed up. Would you unpack what you said a while back that you weren't willing to share your story initially because you didn't see the brokenness in others. And so you weren't willing to share your own brokenness. How did you begin to see the brokenness in others? Part of it probably was leaving home. And I know that's really weird, but so I lived with this incredible family and I think I made it 
you know, there's 10 of us. And so subconsciously, you kind of try to find your identity. And I think I wanted to be the good kid. I wanted to be the kid who did everything right, really made my parents proud and all this stuff. And so anytime I felt like I failed, I mean, it was like my whole identity was gone, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Because my identity was not built on Christ at that time. I think it's little by little, but I remember one story in particular, um, and this wasn't necessarily just mental health, you know, uh, based, but I had moved to Nashville. I had made a really, in my mind, a horrible mistake. And I had so much shame about it. I was super depressed about it. And I thought, you know, if my dad knew, he wouldn't love me anymore. I remember thinking that, which is crazy. (laughs) You knew my dad. But in the same way, we look at it like that with God, like, oh, God would just be, you know. And I remember flying home to Texas and this imperative moment in my life where I'm sitting on a living room floor with my dad just sitting on the floor. I started sobbing and I'd say, Daddy, I need to tell you this. Like, I felt like I had to, like, I'm not a good kid. Something's wrong with me. And I was like an adult, but like in my mind, this performance-based mentality. And I told him, and I'm blessed because I have a dad who is like Jesus, who loves Jesus. And he said, I told him everything. And Daddy just tears up. I remember he cried with me and he said, Lydia. If you could see the skeletons in everybody's closets, you'd be amazed. It's not just you. Jesus came for that. And it was little moments, not so little, but like that, that make you go, oh, like I never gave myself freedom to be a sinner. I wanted to be good. And the freedom you find, which I'm still seeing it when you preach the gospel to yourself and you go, it's enough just to be loved. Jesus loves me. This I know. And I could do the worst and he loved me then. And he was on the cross seeing everything I would do and he loved me then. And I think it's weird how that goes along with your mental health, but that is the spiritual aspect of it. When you feel accepted and seen and all of a sudden you're free to be a mess, not to go on sinning, but to be honest and vulnerable and authentic. And I'm not trying to perform anymore. It's again, it's, it's, I haven't said this here, but it's more like a celebrate recovery than like growing up in church, all buttoned up, trying to look clean and nice and perfect. No, it's like, this is bearing one another's burdens. This is living real life. And that's what Jesus came for. That's what it's supposed to be about. And then you're free. Well, you said something that's so important. You said, that's why Jesus came. And I think so often we can kind of get things confused in our minds of like Jesus versus religion, but that's why he came. He came for us. He came for the sinner. He came for the brokenness. You know, he was harder on the Pharisees than the sinners in the Bible, which obviously everybody is sinners, but he was the hardest on them. And so just remembering that He's the one who refines us and sanctifies us and purifies us. Like we can't, we can't do it on our. And he's the one who searches our hearts. You know, David says, search my heart. He doesn't say, let me search my heart. I think when Mm -hmm. we do that, we try to play God. And I no, we can trust him to do the work he's going to do. He says that. Oh, I love that you said you preach the gospel to yourself. And I started hearing your song as you said, it's enough just to be loved. Isn't that your song? Yeah, to be loved, yeah. (laughs) To be loved, she has this great song. It's enough just, just to, to be, be loved, just yeah. to be held. Oh my goodness. Great Dude, song. Writing that song was like a breakthrough for me. We were in the room, me and my friends, and I was like, I just feel like I, I'm constantly trying to strive and, and just earn it and know that I'm loved. How do I know I'm loved? And one of my buddies was like, well, it's enough just to be loved. Like you don't even have to. And we are like, okay. And then we, we wrote okay. that one song. And, oh my gosh. It's those lyrics are a big part of my story. <laughs> I love it. And the title of it is To Be Loved. To Be Loved. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a fantastic song. I couldn't get it out of my head though. It just started. It's enough just to, to be, be loved. loved. I mean, we can do that him. one too. I don't care. I know. Whatever you feel like the Holy Spirit. I love it. It's fantastic. You're so sweet. Well, speaking of your amazing songs, you're actually going to share one at the end of this yes. episode and we're going to get to end with that. And so is it going to be this one or a different so, one? I have a song called I'll Be Okay that to me is like my heart song. I mean, you know, when you're a writer, you write so many songs and each one is kind of like your baby. But that one I wrote 
in kind of the beginning of my mental health journey of, of finding that freedom. And I remember uh, if you've ever dealt with depression or something, you know that you sometimes just feel numb and empty and like you don't have energy to do anything. And I was at this party, all my friends were celebrating a birthday. And I remember standing there and like trying to fake it like, oh yeah, I'm here. I'm having fun. Like smile. Everything's great. But I was dying inside and nobody knew. And I was so desperate. I was like, I have to walk away from this room. Everyone's having fun. Everyone's great. I'm not here. I can't do it. And I walked out and it's so God, he's so funny. It's like a movie scene. I walk out of the living room and there's this music room to the side that you can shut the door. There's a piano in there. Wow. And everybody else is in the other room. And I walked in and I, for me, like sometimes writing is like a prayer. Like it'll be desperate. You know, I'll, I'll sit down and I'll be crying it out. And I sat at this piano and I just told God, I was like, well, God, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm not okay. And I don't, and this was honestly probably the beginning of me getting the help I needed. But I was like, Lord, I just, I'm so depressed. I just gone through my first heartbreak, like real heartbreak. I was away from my family, almost 700 miles away from my family alone. Like I was trying to do music. It wasn't working. And I just thought, what is the point right now? Like, I'm so depressed. I can't do this. And so I just started playing the piano and, and praying. And that first verse came out and it says, you know, give me peace when I am tossed and frightened, lost among the waves. Give me hope when I'm in doubt and fears are clouding up my faith. And it kind of brought me to this scene of like the disciples in the boat and the storm with Jesus and this idea that in that moment, they did not feel okay, but because they had his presence, they were going to be. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes we want to wrap things up in a bow and say, oh no, trust God, everything's fine, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Jesus actually sits with us in the messy and in those broken moments. That's, that's our hope is that he sits with us. It's not that they're not going to happen. And so that song, I'll be okay. It's, it's very important to me. And it's a big part of my journey because it's the honesty of I'm not right now. And that's all right because I do have Emmanuel, God with me, and he's not going to leave. And it may feel like, you know, the storm, he was sleeping in the boat. It may feel like he's sleeping, but he's still in the boat and he's not getting out. And so I can rest. Yes. Um, and so that song came out of a very broken place and has been every time I sing it, it still hits me. And so I, I hope it hits others the same way. How old were you when you wrote that? It was the first year I moved to Nashville, so 22. Wow. I just love to see God putting gifts in his people and then just getting to glean from them, like glean from what you've learned, glean from your gifts. It's such an amazing thing for the church. He's faithful. He doesn't waste anything. That's right. Okay. I want to back up just a little bit because you mentioned that you grew up with, there's 10 of you, 10 siblings, so family of 12, mm -hmm. right? And you grew up in Romania for a while. How long was this? How long were you there? So I grew up in Tyler, Texas mostly, but we went to Romania for two years. I was, I think I turned six and seven there. So do you feel like any of these experiences like overseas have really equipped you for what you're doing now? I think the eternal perspective of it. Yeah. The way my dad was wired. I mean, my mom was pregnant with her ninth kid when we moved over there. We went into like the poorest area. I think we had like an outhouse and a water well at that time. And like, but my dad was just so like, we are here to see the kingdom broadened. And we were reaching out to orphans. We were singing at churches. And so from a very young age, I think it kind of put music and ministry hand in hand for me. And I, and I knew like, I want to impact the world. I want to have an eternal perspective. And I want to do that through whatever gifts God gives me. And so... How old were you then when you were singing? Uh, well, we were singing well, we were singing forever since I was a baby. They were like but the Partridge family, we basically. Really were. <laughs> <laughs> and you all can of see, too. if you look on social media, I have pictures of like all of us wearing the same outfit, traveling around, and it's so embarrassing. Okay, but I'm going to have to find it's that. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think honestly, seeing my parents just mission-minded way of living life, even with 10 kids, even with everything else, like that impacted me. It's amazing because they could have all the excuses. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we struggled, you know, but, but our house was always open to the outliers, the outcasts, the needy. And my heart 
from very young has been those that nobody's reaching. That's who I want to reach. And I think my parents really helped show me that. Um, and also just seeing that what the world is like outside of this Western civilization where everything's kind of like this American dream when really the eternal dream is the most important. And do your mom and dad both sing as well? They do. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's I didn't get beautiful. That <laughs> All 12 of them singing. That's wonderful. That's so funny. Did you grow up watching The Sound of Music? And oh, feeling yeah, that's like, my mom's this favorite is, movie. This is us. Literally. And when we were in Romania, we it, we had gone through a lot. And daddy was like, man, mom needs like a gift. And so her favorite movie, Sound of Music. So he packed us all up in the van um, and we drove to Austria. Austria. And we got to see where no they had made way. it. Yes. And mom was so happy. We have pictures of all of us like by the trees and in the gazebo and like doing the Sound of Music thing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so cute. What a dream. But I, I love that you're giving a perspective to us, you know, because there's so many moms that listen. Even when you have this beautiful idyllic family, Jesus everywhere, ministry everywhere. It's like rainbows and butterflies. We believe this myth. If I just would homeschool my kids, if I would just be, you know, this type of family, then my kids aren't going to struggle. They're not going to deal with depression and suicide. They're not going to deal with all this junk coming from your story, from my story as a homeschool mom. You can't avoid the brokenness of our fallen nature. And we, we deal with stuff no matter what setting. And so I think I just want the moms to hear, like, take the mom guilt off. You know, brokenness is in all of us. And that's another thing that you shared so well that is enlightening to go, okay, let's lay down the performance and know that it's Jesus that is the restorer and we all need him. So I just appreciate the groundedness in your message that gives a perspective that helps us to be free. When do you think you really started to see big breakthroughs? I think I'm still seeing breakthroughs. You know, life feels like a roller coaster sometimes. I, I think we have ups and downs and now we go this way and then this way. And like, I will say, you know, it sounds like, oh, your journey has just been healing and doing all this for the last however many years. But really, no, like even in the midst of me learning all these things and growing, I grew up in a very conservative home. I didn't date a lot growing up. And so I dated later in life and I got in like abusive relationships. And those things affected my mental health and those, you know, and so it's like these ups and downs of like, we try, we fall, we learn, we get up and God brings us one step closer. And so I'm still getting breakthroughs. I think I'm at one of the greatest ones right now, if I'm honest with you. I'd love to say, oh, it was five years ago and I'm great now. But the truth is that's not normally how life works. That's not how it um, works. Yeah. yeah. I love and, that reminder because we don't arrive. It's constant mm-hmm. needing his presence and constant learning. In the words of Narnia, it's further up and further in. I like love I love Narnia <laughs> because we don't have to sit here and be like, why am I not here yet? Like I recently got out of a very hard situation. And I looked back and thought, God, that was a waste of six years. And I was mad at myself. And then I thought, no, it wasn't a waste of six years because he's already, he takes what the enemy means for evil and he turns it into good. And so yeah. that in and of itself is a breakthrough for me. And also like our lives, we're always getting to know the Lord more. It's not like we just know him and that's it. We're done. It's like a marriage in a way. Like you, there's always more to know, right? That's and, right. And so I think I have gotten to know the Holy Spirit in a way that I had never before in these last six months, making some really hard decisions out of obedience and faith. And this has been breakthrough, a big breakthrough. So I'm actually, I'm sitting in some of that right now. And it's the very much both end as I'm finding out stuff about my dad and going, okay, God, what? Like this was a really good season. But life is a tension and Jesus sits in that tension with us. Wow. Hey, we have quite a few single gals that listen. And so I would love for you to just speak into this season of your life, early 30s, single, obviously, you know, some relationships that maybe didn't go how you wanted them to. What would you want to say to the single gal listening? Well, first of all, I have six sisters and I'm just going to tell you this. We all think the grass is greener 
on the other side. Mm-hmm. Like every woman is like, if I was just married or if I just had babies and then you go to the married women with babies and you're like, man, your life's so cool. If I was just here. Mm-hmm. And I think that the enemy's big ploy is to make us not content and to make us compare and life. I mean, especially with Instagram and TikTok and all these things, like we see these best, we see these versions and like all the highlights, all the highlights. And I know so many people who I see their highlights and then I know their real life and I'm like, oh, okay, like you're real too and you're messy too. And so I think there is such a beautiful thing. And I used to, I'm like laughing right now thinking about what I'm about to say. I used to hate when women who were like single were like, just be content in your singleness. I was like, no, I want to have a husband. I want to have babies. I want a lot, you know, but I will say, and maybe it's just because of the season I'm in, I've never been in the season where I actually am content because I really, like I was thinking this morning, you know, I travel for work. I do music. I speak. I do things. And a lot of mornings I'd wake up depressed because I'd be like, I hate being alone. I wish I had a husband. I wish I had somebody doing this with me. And this morning I woke up and I was talking to Jesus and I was laughing and I was like, man, we're on such an adventure. And then I thought, he is my best friend. He is. And like, I'm 31 and I have known him since I was four, but I keep getting to know him better. And and I'm actually very happy and content. And so I guess I want to encourage you and just say, listen, you could get married tomorrow and there's going to be good and there's going to be bad. And then you're going to look at something else and think, I wish I wanted that. The best secret to life is to do what Paul says and find your contentedness in Christ exactly where you are and know that each season has pros and cons. And if we're not present for this one, someday we're going to look back and go, oh, I missed all those pros because I was looking ahead. And it's like, if God's given us a desire and he loves us, I believe he's going to bring it to pass. And if he doesn't, there's going to be something in eternity that made that desire make sense. But right now I'm going to focus on the next right step. And I'm truly, I mean, like we live in Disney culture, being married and all that stuff. That is not the be all end all. However, it is a gift from God. And when it happens, it's wonderful, but singleness is wonderful too. So look for the joy and the freedom in today. I love when Craig says single is a whole number. Mm, I love that. I know so many are going to want to rewind and replay this whole thing. And, you know, you can rewind, just like go ahead and rewind and and listen to this again and again, because, I mean, it's power packed stuff. And I'm taking notes with a crayon, which is kind of a fun (laughs) side note, because I just insisted. (laughs) You're so cute. It's a beautiful blue green. Man, you dropped the mic there, too, with the further up and further in Narnia quote. And I don't even think I knew that quote as a Narnia fan, but further up and further in, what a word that kind of encapsulates so much of what you're sharing. It's like a journey with the Lord. And I love your intimacy with him. It's so evident. Well, speaking of Narnia, the last page of The Last Battle. Amy, did you read all the Narnia books or just a couple of them? Just a handful, like two or three. The last page of The Last Battle. I cry every time. Um, It's beautiful. It's so good. I love that one. When they come in and it's like their talks world about, but better and then everybody's there. Yeah, Wait, what are you talking about? about that like, then he no longer looked like a lion. I don't know. I'd have to find the quote. And he hints at that during the whole series. He's like, oh, I'm in your world too, but I'm known by another name. Do you remember? Yes. Because they're like, how do we find you? He's like, oh no, I'm in your world. I literally have a Courage Dear Heart from Narnia tattooed on my wall. So you are like hardcore Narnia. I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan in general. Everything. Yeah. I mean, everyone's got things with their theology that aren't perfect, but Lewis... He just makes me feel closer to the world. I'm reading his space trilogy for the first that time. The best. Have you read it? Oh my goodness. Perilandra, that hideous street. I don't know Man. that one. Oh, it's so, it's nerdy, but it is so space good. Space trilogy. It took me a little bit to kind of get into the first book, but then I'm like, okay, this is good. Yeah. It's fantastic. You're going to love those. Screw tape letters. One of my all-time favorites. All of them. So good. 
I mean, we're going into some C.S. Lewis resources. What other resources would you want us to know? Yes. Okay. So I actually have um, on my website, I think it's super important, especially when talking about mental health, to have something to point people towards because we need tools. Yeah. So on my website, just LydiaLaird.com, there is a mental health resources page. Um, There's a little bit of my story there. There is the Tim Keller sermon I referenced, some books, some podcasts, um, just different things. And obviously, like I know a lot of people now know for the suicide hotline, 988, if you're ever feeling like desperate to talk to somebody about mental health. But yeah, I mean, I would love, love for you guys to check those out. And also if you have any questions about my story or mental health or anything, I answer every Instagram message I get. So please send me a message because you're not alone. And I want you to know that. Okay. So you've been amazing. We're actually going to, as we said earlier, we're going to end with a song of yours, which I'm super excited about. But before we do, would you just leave everyone with a final word of encouragement? Just whatever you haven't said that you really want to say and you want everyone to know. Absolutely. Well, honestly, I'd love to pray over everyone. Is that okay? Before I do, I just want to say to the listener, because I have been a listener many times when I was in places where I just felt like nobody saw me. I've been in my closet in my bedroom crying my eyes out, tempted to hurt myself, tempted to whatever else. And maybe that's not your story or maybe it's somebody's story that you know. I just want to encourage you. The biggest thing I could say is um, do not go through this alone. We can make it through anything if we know we're not alone. And I know you're not alone because I know the Savior who loves you, but also he wants you to talk to other people and bear one of those burdens and know that you have friends around you who are not going to leave you in this place. And I'm one of them. So maybe it's virtual or over, you know, your podcast, but I'm here and it's not just you. And so I just want to pray if it's okay. I just want to pray over anybody listening because there's power. There's power in prayer. And I just feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. So I'm a father. I just, I pray right now, Lord, for this precious soul who's listening to this. Maybe they didn't expect this to be the message they heard today. Maybe it's relating to them. Maybe it's not God, but I just, I ask right now that you would just be there with them, that they would know you're there because I know you're there, Lord. But I I pray that they would be aware of your presence, be aware that our feelings do not always tell us the truth, but our faith in you tells us that we can trust you, God. And sometimes faith is a choice and the feelings come after God. And so I just pray for the listener right now that they would choose to put their faith, not in how they feel, but to put their faith in a heavenly father who loves them in a savior who gave his life up for them and is walking through the valley with them and that they would know the Holy Spirit in a way that empowers them to take the next right step, God. They are not alone, Lord. And I thank you that you love them so much that you go into the darkest, messiest, most sinful, broken places to rescue them and help them know that you want to rescue them today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Give me peace when I am tossed and frightened and lost among the waves. Give me hope when I'm in doubt and fears are clouding up my faith. Would you come and move the mountains? Cause I'm too weak to climb. Promise that you're with me in this fight.
tragedy could hold the sharpest blade against my skin Threatening to open all the wounds I've tried to mend Would you come and be the healer that I know I've seen before? You've promised me that I can be restored Cause you're with